Good evening. We're going to get started. Glad y'all are here. Uh, let me start with a word of prayer tonight. Dream Father, we come tonight. We're thankful for this night. We're thankful for uh, church family. We're thankful for the, the food, the fellowship that we have had uh, so far. We're thankful for the Bible study tonight. I pray uh, that you would speak through it, uh, that you, we would be encouraged, that we would be built up, that we would be uh, corrected if need be, that we'd be better leaving this hour than when we came in. And Lord, we're thankful for the opportunity that our kids have, uh, that our youth have, that the other adult classes tonight have as well. Lord, we pray that you would, you would move there, that you would work there, uh, that you'd be known in those Bible studies as well. Lord, we come tonight and we just tell you we're thankful for you. We're thankful for the, the many blessings we have in and through you. And we just tell you we praise your name. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, tonight we're in our uh, 42nd lesson. Uh, it is a lesson entitled Praise Him. We're in a section of our Bible study where we're actually going through uh, first a broad overview of the Psalms, and then we're going to look at individual Psalms. And so uh, we've talked about the Psalms, uh, we've talked about the Hebrew songbook, and now we're going to start uh, to look at some of the specific Psalms, the types of Psalms that we find uh, in the Hebrew songbook. The key point is that God calls for and desires our praises to be sung to him. Now, that's an interesting thing. The creator God of all things, he desires that we would not just praise him, but that we would sing our praises to him. So he desires that. He actually commands that and calls for that. Now, as only God can do, this actually serves a double purpose. It is pleasing to him, it's what he desires, but it is also a great blessing to us. And I think maybe it's, it's pleasing to him, but maybe it's a greater blessing to us. Now you may say, well, how does that make sense? How is that able to happen? Uh, we sing our praises to God, it's a blessing to God, it pleases God, but it's also a great blessing uh, to us. Well, the truth of that is, and we're going to see it out tonight, we're going to walk it out tonight, when we remember who God is, when we remember what he has done, it encourages us. It strengthens us. Ultimately, it results in a greater faith. Sometimes we think, I'd like to have a greater faith. Or we see somebody, I'd like to have a faith like they had, like my grandparents had, or somebody, somebody that we admire. Uh, when we remember who God is, we remember what he has done, it encourages us, it strengthens us, and it ultimately gives us results in a greater faith. Uh, praising God is actually a great blessing to us. Now tonight it's going to be interesting because we're going to go through a specific psalm, and I think we're going to see this process uh, as it unfolds. And so we're going to praise God going through this psalm, but I, I think as we sit here, as we listen, uh, it's going to be a blessing to us, and we're going to see how this plays out. Um, hymns, uh, we talked about last week there's, uh, several classifications of the Psalms. Uh, some folks say there's 12 classifications. Some say there are nine. Some say there's seven. Uh, we, we talked about five classifications of Psalms. One of the major classifications is that of hymns. That's what we're going to look at tonight. Hymns are songs of praise to God. What is a hymn? Sometimes they think, well, these are the ones in our hymnal. These are the ones we like. Hymns, by definition, they are songs of of praise to God. Uh, in this time that we're looking at, they were generally sung corporately. 
which means this. There would be an assembly, and they're going to the temple. They would sing. When they're at the temple, they would come together, and they would sing. And so generally, they were, they were sung in a group. Uh, they, they were sung corporately. Uh, but they could also be sung as an individual. So you could be somewhere, that song could come to mind, and you could sing that hymn. Uh, it's important to see the audience or recipient of the hymn is God himself. Uh, think about that. What is a hymn? If you were to say, hey, I want to define a hymn. It is a song of praise, but it's to God, and it's about God. So what is a hymn? It is to God, and it's about God. He is the subject, and he is the audience. Uh, when we come in on, on Sunday morning or when we meet to worship as the church, uh, I think sometimes we wonder about who's listening, who's hearing, what are people seeing. And the truth is, if we're, if we're singing a hymn, it is to God, and it is about God. He is our audience. All right, that's the setup for what we're going to do tonight. Tonight, we're going to walk through Psalm 145. Uh, I think it's going to be awesome. I think you're going to be blessed. I want to encourage you to listen, to think about the words, to, to look at each word as we pass through it. And I'm, I'm just going to walk us through it verse by verse. And I, I believe you're going to leave here tonight and say, man, that was awesome. Man, I'm glad I got to hear that and got to be part of that. Um, <clears throat> the worksheet you were passed out tonight, that psalm on there is not Psalm 145. The first 10 verses of that were actually Psalm 146. I don't know, in a crazy uh, mix-up of the day, somehow it got printed on there. Uh, starting in verse 11, that will match, but the first 10 verses aren't going to match. So if you have your Bible, you can find a Bible there in the pew. If you have a Bible uh, and turn to Psalm 145, that's what we'll use, or you can listen and follow along as I work through them. So again, Psalm 145 I'm going to encourage you to listen, to think, and I promise you God's going to bless you tonight in our Bible study. Psalm 145 is an acrostic. Uh, it uses all the letters of the Hebrew alphabet. So the psalmist, the songwriter, takes the, the letters of the Hebrew alphabet and he writes uh, a verse matching uh, each of those letters. Uh, we could call it praising the Lord from A to Z. A to Z is not their alphabet, but that's our understanding we could call Psalm 145, praising the Lord from A to Z. All right, here we go, starting Psalm 145, verse 1. And I'm going to read a verse, and I'm going to explain it. We're going to go all the way, 21 verses. Here we go. Psalm 145. I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. All right, verse 1 starts off, and it is a heartfelt response to God. The, the psalmist, the songwriter, this is their response to God. The singer calls him my God, personally, my king. Uh, the phrase, I will extol, that's not a word we say much, I will extol, is a verb that means to exalt or to lift up. And so, if you have something, if you're to hold it up, if you're to place it up where everybody can see it, now that's what that is. It is a verb that means to exalt or lift up. To bless means to salute, bless, or to most literally it means to kneel. And so one of the ways that we're going to exalt God is we're going to lower ourselves. We're going to kneel ourselves. 
I will extol you, my God, O King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. All right, moving on to verse two. Let's keep going. Verse two, every day I will bless you and I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and I will praise your name forever and ever. Praise, the word for praise in the second verse means to shine on. So if you, the word here for, for praising, it is to shine on. The pattern here in verse 2 is to be a, a, a person that offers unending praise and honor to God. Now think about that for a second. It says, every day I will bless you. Then it says, forever and ever. Those are actually two separate Hebrew words that actually are not the same word. Uh, one of them means forever, and one of them means forever and ever. And so watch the pattern here. I will praise God today in the short term. I will praise God in the longer term, and then I'll be found praising God all the time, forever and ever. Now start to think about that. As followers of Christ, as God's people, we ought to praise God today. Good things, bad things, tomorrow, next month, next year. We ought to be a people that the pattern of our life is to praise God. All right, something awesome starts to happen in verse 3. Verse 3, great is the Lord and highly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. I could preach, I think, an hour on verse 3. I might could go a couple of hours on verse 3. Great is the Lord and highly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Starting in verse 3, here's what starts to happen. The song starts to list things that make God praiseworthy and do of the singer's honor. So starting in verse 3, the songwriter is going to tell us things about God that are praiseworthy, that are worship-worthy, that are due our honor. So starting now, there's going to be this listing of things that would cause us to praise and worship God. Again, these words serve to bring back to mind the characteristics of God uh, that would strengthen our faith. Now, what that means is when I remember who God is, when I remember what God has done, you know what? I can trust him. Uh, I have no problem deferring to him. And so as I'm reminded of who God is, uh, my faith is strengthened. All right, so starting at verse 3, there's starting to be some things that are going to be listed that tell us why we would praise God. All right, let's look at this very specifically. Great, great. Great is the Lord. Great is the Lord. The word great here, it refers to the magnitude and the extent of something. So the word great, it refers to the magnitude or the extent of something. Here, this word actually translates greatest, highest, biggest, heaviest. And so if you know a God that's gracious, this God is, is he's exceedingly gracious. If you know a God that's powerful, our God is exceedingly powerful. My favorite definition of this word means exceedingly exceeding. Great is our God. It means exceedingly exceeding. And so if you have exceeding, this is exceedingly exceeding. 
That, this is overflowing. This is too much. He is exceedingly exceeding. That, that's a crazy word. So great is the Lord. He is exceeding and is exceedingly exceeding. He's the biggest. He's the most powerful. He's the gracious, the most kindest. All these things. He is exceedingly exceeding. His greatness, the verse says, is unsearchable because it is limitless. Now, here's, here's what I start to see here. In this verse, we start to see the craziness of trying to comprehend an infinite God. And so, listen, if we start to think about our God, pick an attribute, merciful. His mercy has no limit. There's no cap on it. Good. The, he, his, his goodness is infinite. There's no end to his, to his goodness. Powerful. It's infinite. There's no, there's no end to his power. So we sit around and start to try to think about a God that's powerful, that's kind, that's gracious, that's eternal, and all of those things are infinite. That, that ought to blow our mind. That ought to just stagger us. Our God is exceedingly exceeding. We, we can't explain him. He's unsearchable. His greatness is unsearchable because we're trying to explain or comprehend an infinite God. Verse 4. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. One generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. All right, here's the thing about worship. Worship is bigger than any one person. It's bigger than any point in time, and it's bigger than any generation. And so, hey, man, we're worshiping. And I think sometimes, wow, well, look at us, our generation, we worship. You know what? Worship is not limited to a generation, uh, to a specific set point in time. Uh, it is bigger than that. Previous generations blown away by the greatness of God and his works can't help but tell the next generation. And I, I think about stories we tell. Uh, you remember when this restaurant was back? You remember when the Canton Cafe was back on Wilbarger Street? And remember the Mexico City dinner? Remember their hot sauce? And, I, and we'd say, man, you missed it. That was great. Remember this place? Remember this car? Remember the music of this time period? The 80s was the best. We can't help but talk about it. We can't help but share it. Well, listen, a generation that's astonished with God shouldn't be able to t contain themselves and telling their kids and their grandkids and the neighbor kids about the greatness of God. It ought to be natural. Here's the other thing. It's also a duty. It is a duty for one generation to tell the next generation of the greatness of God. Here's, here's what I think is the sad thing that could happen. A generation could get so tied up in paying bills and, and making days and living life that they never told their kids, man, our God is great. He is, he is limitless. He is infinite. And I am blown away. And that's the biggest thing. You know, the biggest thing is the greatness of our God. It, it's a duty for us to tell the next generation. And it ought to be the natural thing that we do to tell the next generation. Verse 4, one generation shall praise your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts. Verse 5, on the glorious splendor of your majesty... And on your wonderful works, I will meditate. All right, verse 5, the singer again makes the song very personal. 
Notice here, it is a deliberate effort to focus on God and then to worship God for the things that the singer singer is focused on. He's thinking about God's majesty. He's thinking about God's splendor. He is deliberate in that, and when he's deliberate in that, his response is to worship. To meditate actually means to carefully and thoughtfully consider. And so the the songwriter says, I'm going to carefully and thoughtfully consider our God. Here's a question. How often do we actually, honestly, stop and seriously think about God? I I think sometimes we see a sunset and say, well, that sure is pretty, praise the Lord. I think sometimes we come to church and say, what a great sermon. I liked what God said, praise the Lord. How many times do we actually stop 10 o'clock in the morning, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, 7 o'clock in the morning, we're getting ready to start, 10 o'clock at night, we're getting ready for bed, and say, man, God is marvelous. Man, he's greatly blessed me. Man, he's eternal. Man, my faith placed in him is well-founded. And actually meditate on the greatness of God. If we did that, I think it changes our personality. I think it changes our perception. I think it changes the complexion of our day. Throw the brakes on. He says, I'm going to meditate on the splendor, the majesty of God. All right, verse 6. Men shall speak of the power of your awesome acts, and I will tell of your greatness. Men shall speak of the power of your awesome acts, and I will tell of your greatness. Now, here's the deal. God's nature, what God is like, shows up in his actions. Now, that means what he does is always going to match who he is. Now, people aren't like that. People, People will pretend to be one thing, but they'll be something else. They may be one thing and do something else. God's not like that. What he does, if he's infinite in kindness, is always going to be kind. If he's perfect in his goodness, what he does is always going to be good. His actions are always going to reveal his character. They cannot be separated. His nature shows up in his actions. All right? We can think about a a whole bunch of things here. Think about creation. Creation. What about God shows up in his act of creation? So his his act is always going to reflect who he is. So when we see when we see creation, we can say, "Wow, God is wise," and 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 my heart is beating, and one valve is shutting and one is opening and it's doing this. Uh, flowers are growing, trees are blooming, uh, all of these things. God God is infinite in wisdom. He he is creative. He is beautiful. His power, Um, think about it, we do something, how much effort it takes, everything we see, he spoke into creation. He is powerful. All of these things. And so this singer says, his acts confirm his character, and I'm going to tell people of his greatness. I'm going to deliberately tell people of his greatness. Same thing as we see in in the previous verses. How much do we meditate on the greatness of God? How much do we speak of the greatness of God? Our God's awesome. He's marvelous. He's mighty. He's never left us, never forsaken us. How often do we speak of the greatness 
of God. All right, verse 7, moving on. They shall eagerly utter the memory of your abundant goodness and will shout joyfully of your righteousness. They shall eagerly utter the memory of your abundant goodness and will shout joyfully of your righteousness. Verse 7 tells us this. God's people are excited, they are urgent, and they are joyful as they praise him. God's people are urgent, they're excited, they're joyful to to be able to praise him. Notice the attributes of God here in verse 7. Abundant goodness. It's overflowing goodness. Here's goodness. There's there's abundant goodness. Righteousness. Always going to do the right thing. Never going to do the wrong thing. Not going to be an instant that he does the wrong thing. God's people are excited, joyful, and urgent to praise him. I've been thinking, we've been working a couple weeks on the, the Bible studies in Psalms, and I think, I think you can tell a lot about somebody's heart and how they sing. And I think you can tell a lot about what they're going through by how they sing. And it doesn't mean we're a bunch of goofballs and we think everything's good. You may have just suffered a great loss, but you know what? In that loss, your anchor is held and you're ready to praise God. You may have had a great thing happen. And in that, you're ready to, to thank and to praise God. Sometimes I, I wonder, and I, it's weird, I sit up here at the front on Sundays, and so I can look back and kind of see people as we sing. And sometimes I feel like we ought to have a pep rally before we have church to say, God is good, God is good. God has blessed us, hasn't left us, didn't forsake us. Hey, somebody passed away this way. You know what? We have hope in death. You know what? Somebody got a bad report. You know what? God's not going to leave us. And I think, well, we can crank it up enough, then then we're ready to sing our songs. We ought to walk around saying, God is good, and he's never left us, never forsaken us. There's not a prognosis that's going to outweigh me. There's not going to be a loss that he can't overcome. God's people are excited, joyful, and urgent to praise him. Verse 8. Verse 8, I'm going to go ahead and just tell you up front. Verse 8 is my favorite verse of the whole song. I'll tell you why. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and great in loving kindness. Word loving kindness sometimes translates merciful. Verse 8, listen to me, it is the hope of men. You see, if, if God is good, but he's not gracious to sinners, it doesn't help me. And if he's powerful, but he's not merciful to sinners, it doesn't help me. But you know what our God, it says he's patient and kind, and gracious and long-suffering, and when he should have stomped a mud hole in us, when he should have rubbed us out, when he should have thrown us into a heap of nothingness, you know what? He's patient and kind, desires that none should perish. He he offers us salvation through Christ. Verse 8 is the hope of people. He is gracious and merciful to sinners. It says he is merciful. That means he holds back what is due. Hey, I've earned a punishment. He holds it back, merciful. And he blesses what is un, with us with what is undeserved. We didn't deserve this. We didn't deserve these good things. And yet he is gracious to us, blessing us with what is undeserved. He is slow to anger, patient, long-suffering. At the same time, he is great in mercy. That, that's tremendous. Remember the definition for great. Exceedingly exceeding. God is great in mercy. 
He is exceedingly exceeding when it comes to the demonstration of mercy. Now, here's what that means in practical terms. God's mercy is bigger than our greatest sin. And man, you can foul things up and you can sin and you can rebel against God, but guess what? His mercy is limitless. His mercy is exceedingly exceeding. And so his mercy is greater than our greatest sin. That is the gospel. That's what we believe as followers of Jesus Christ. This truth is repeated in Scripture. Uh, Psalm 103, verse 8 is a direct quote of that. Exact same thing. Also, think about this. Remember the testimony of Jonah. Remember at the end of Jonah when he gets mad and, and God delivers the Ninevites and Jonah's mad and he goes up on the hill. Remember what he says? I knew you were slow to anger and gracious and kind to sinners. I knew you wouldn't kill them. And he's mad about it. That's the testimony. Verse 8 is the, is the hitch pin of our gospel. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and great in loving kindness. I like verse 9. The Lord is good to all. I want to get that in a bumper sticker. The Lord is good to all, and his mercies are over all his works. Let me ask you a question. I, I preached seven sermons on this topic. Let me ask you a question. Is God selective in how he reveals his goodness? Now, what I mean by that is this. Is he good to some people, but not to others? Or is he good to some people, but better to others? Well, this verse tells us the answer. God is always good to everybody in every circumstance. He doesn't come along and say, I've created some of y'all, and I've created y'all, and you can't be saved, and I've created you for damnation. He is good to all. How do I know? He says he is always good to everyone. That's what the verse says. Because he is infinite in his goodness, he can't be ever not good. He is good. He is good. All right, verse 10, 11, and 12. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and your godly ones shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and talk of your power to make known to the sons of men your mighty acts and the glory of the majesty of your kingdom. All right, second time we see this, God's character always shows up in his acts. He will never carry out an act that is not perfect in goodness, righteousness, justice, mercy, wisdom, power. Pick his character trait. He will never carry out an act that's not perfect in all of his traits. You ever go, I don't know why God allowed that to happen. I don't know what God's doing right here. I, sometimes I see folks and, and something bad will happen. Maybe a couple bad things will happen in a row. And you go, I don't, I don't know what God's doing right here. I don't know why he's allowed this to happen. This doesn't make any sense. And here's what we can say. You know what? He's not going to be less than righteous. He's not going to be less than good. He's not going to be less than kind. He's not going to be less than gracious because he can't and all of his acts add up. On days I can't understand things, I go, you know what? Don't understand it. I'll just tell you some days I don't like it. Don't like it. But you know what? I trust God because he can't be less than all those things in all of his acts. Here's what the verse says. The people who see God for who he is, now there's some folks that don't see him for who he is, but the ones that see him for who he is, they praise and honor him. Now I want you to think about this. 
His acts confirm his character. Those that see that, they praise him and they honor him. Here's the deal. The extent that we see and know him will show up in the extent of our praising him. Now, I want to say that again. That's pretty big. The extent that we see and know God shows up in the extent of our praising God. Do we praise God? Do you? Is that something we've done today? Is that something you've done this week? Maybe if we're not praising God, maybe it's because we're not thinking about God. Maybe it's because we're not astonished with God. I promise you this, the extent that you know and see him will be proportional to the amount that you praise him. What does that say about us right now as individuals? How much are we talking about God? How much are we praising God? How much do our hearts long to sing his praises? And maybe if it's not there, maybe we need to go back to his word and remember who he is. All right, verse 13. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. Here's something we're figuring out. Kingdoms, though big and impressive, what do they do? They rise and they fall. You know what? The Assyrian Empire should have never fallen, but you know what it did? You know the Babylonian Empire should have never fallen. You know what it did? The Roman Empire, dadgum, the Roman Empire. Man, that should never have fallen. You know what it did? Man, I'm going to just say it. Look at our nation coming unhinged. Oh, we're too impressive. We have too much stuff. Listen, nations come and go. Empires come and go. But I want to tell you this. Here's what the Bible says. God's kingdom endures. And God's reign over that kingdom, it endures forever. All right, now I want you to think about that for a second. If God's kingdom endures, not going to fade away, not going to peter out, not going to dissipate, not going to be overcome, if God's rule over his kingdom doesn't rule, doesn't fail, doesn't disappear, and we are members of his kingdom, you know what we ought to be? We ought to be bulletproof. We ought to wake up and say, you know what, my kingdom's not disappearing. My king's not leaving his throne. He's in charge. He's in, he's in control. And you know what, I, things may get hard. You know what, I'm not going to worry about that. There is confidence, peace, hope, and joy in knowing we have a kingdom that will not fail and a king that will not be unseated. I, I, I don't know. I think about that, and I can, I can very easily get negative about crazy things happening, crazy things happening. Uh, I, I think with COVID in, in 2021 or whatever that was, I think we got our eyes on the bad things happening, the negative things happening, and we forgot to say, I belong to a kingdom that will not fail and a kingdom that will not be unseated. And you know what? I'm bulletproof. I'm confident in my, my kingdom and my king. All right, verse 14 is an awesome verse. The Lord sustains all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. The Lord sustains all who fall and raises up all who are bowed down. Here's, the, here's what the verse means. God sees the plight of man. God never fails, but we often do. And when we do, living in our sin 
and living in a messed up world full of sin, we are often found broken or hurting or in despair. You ever just get so messed up you can't even move anymore? So filled with guilt or shame or regret, wish I'd never done that. I knew better than that. You ever had just bad things happen and you're just crushed under either your own sin or the weight of somebody else's sin that's impacting you? Here's the deal. God never fails. We often do. But God who sees the plight of man gives us grace and strength and redemption. He is the God who helps people who fail. And that's what the verse says. He lifts up our head. He stands us back up. We've made a mess of things. We're crushed. And you know what? Our gracious God says, you know what? Stand back up on your feet to pick up your head. We're moving on out of here. I go back and think about we have a Savior who knows, the suffering servant. He knows the suffering, the plight of man. He never fails. We often do. We have a God that gives us grace and redemption and restoration. Verses 15 and 16. The eyes of all who look to you and you give them their food, the eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due due time. Verse 16, you open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. All right, here's what verse 15 and 16 tells us. God is actually the sustainer of all things. God is actually, we say that, but he actually is the sustainer of all things. Everything we need is found in him. Now we say that, it's actually true. Now the example in verse 16, the wild animals. Do you know if there's no pecans and no acorns, no, no nuts, no food, it's not going to be long, there's not going to be any squirrels. Did you know I always go out and find squirrels? Did you know if the birds didn't have seeds and, and sunflowers and this and millet and whatever, it wouldn't be long and there wouldn't be any birds? Did you know you go outside and there's birds hopping around, birds singing when you go out of here? No one's taking care of the animals. You know who he is? God is. He is their provider. That is an example that God also is our provider. All right, I'm going to give you an example for us. God is also our provider. God is also our sustainer. And we went through a sermon a few weeks ago. Do you know there's nobody living that God didn't give them their life? There's nobody still living that God is not sustaining their life. Here, I'm going to ask you a question. This morning you woke up and either your alarm went off or you're just weird like me and you just wake up because you can't wait for your alarm. Did you tell your kidneys, better get to work? Did you tell your lungs, keep exchanging that for that carbon dioxide for some oxygen? Did you tell your heart, about 72 would be good starting off. We'll, we'll pick it up a little bit later. No, you didn't tell your anything, anything. Did you tell, okay, I, I'm gonna, I need a faster metabolism. I do say that, but it doesn't ever come up true. No, God is sustaining us. He is providing for us. You know what? We can, go, we can go enough years. We can run out of food too. We're like those animals. But God is sustaining us. There's not a person that has life that God didn't give them life. There's not a person that's still living their life that God is not sustaining their life. God is the sustainer of all things. Ooh, that ought to make us sing. That ought to make us glad. God is the sustainer of all things. You know what? When he's through sustaining me, Y'all have homemade ice cream and y'all say, you know what, he went to heaven, God was through sustaining him. Praise the Lord, he's in charge of that too. Verse 17. 
The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his deeds. It keeps coming back to that. Righteous in Hebrew means in the right, just without blame. It means perfectly right. God is always perfectly right. He's not a shade of wrong. Kind in Hebrew means merciful, kind. The most literal translation is love shown. And so when he is kind, it is love shown. It is love shown. Our God is righteous. He he shows us love. He is kind to us. Verses 18 and 19. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He will also hear their cry and will save them. All right, here's here's something crazy. One of the most marvelous truths about our God is that he is living, he is active, and he is personal. He knows us, he knows you, he knows what you're going through, he knows where you've been, he knows where you're going. He calls us to know him. He is not cold, he is not indifferent, he is not far removed. As holy as he is, now listen, he's not like us. He is holy, but as holy as he is, he is not unapproachable to us. In fact, he actually says, if we will seek him, we will find him. He actually says, draw near to me. He says, seek me. That's what he says. This personal relationship is highlighted by God who not only sees, but actually does something about our plight. When I get to this verse, it's also a picture of the gospel. You know what? We're, we're stuck in our sin. We're, we're dead in our sin. We have no hope, no future in our sin. God sees our plight in our sin, and you know what? He sends a Savior. He does something about it. It's the same way in all pieces of our life. We not only have a God that sees, we have a God that's living and active and acts, does something about it. Again, that's the core of our gospel. When we couldn't do anything, he sends a Savior in his grace that we have the forgiveness of our sins in the person of Jesus Christ. That's the core of our gospel. All right, verse 20. The Lord keeps all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. Now, that seems like a change of pace. It's not. I'm going to explain it. The Lord keeps all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. All right, here's the deal. God is loving. God is kind, he is faithful, he is forgiving. He's told us he's perfectly just. And as part of that, now this is a big thing to understand. As part of that, he also judges sin. He also condemns and judges sin. Now you say, well, that sounds like he's either good or he's condemning of sin. And those are two separate things. No, those are the same thing. Listen, because he judges sin, we have a day coming when there'll be no sin, no sorrow, no death, no sickness, no shame, no markers of sin. The former things the Bible says will have passed away. We need a God who is just and not temperamental and not going not to be a, a, a person that discriminates, but we need a God that is perfectly just, perfectly righteous, and carries out the judgment of sin. Ultimately, that's what the cross is about. 
He is gracious and kind to us through the cross. He's also perfect and just, and he judges sin in the person of Christ on the cross of Calvary. That is a good thing. We want a God that judges sin. He does. Because of that, we have a future apart from sin. All right, verse 21. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord, and all flesh will bless his holy name forever and ever. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord, and all flesh will bless his holy name forever and ever. All right, here's what verse 21 tells us. God is to be praised. We ought to be praising God. You ought to be praising God. I ought to be praising God. And here's the second part of that. And God will be praised. That's what he tells us. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. You know what? He is to be praised and he will be praised. That's the end of the song. That's the end of the song. All right, let me, let me wrap this up. Let me just ask you a couple questions. That is the song. Covered a whole lot of stuff. And, and just, just holler out if you feel like it, if you feel led. What does this song, Psalm 145, when I go through that, what does it make you feel? You can just pick one word. You can go further than that. But when you hear that, when you listen to that, when that's explained, when we think about that, what does Psalm 145 make you feel? Loved, loved. Anybody else? Say it again. The apple of his eye, cherished. Anybody else? Psalm 145, what does that make you feel? Security. I was talking to somebody earlier. They said peace. When I hear that, I, they, they said peace. Here's what I say, joy. When I hear that, I just, I'm, I'm, I'm over, overjoyed. I'm thrilled. All right, here's another question. What are you encouraged in? Are you encouraged in anything when you hear that song? What is it, when, you, when I hear that song, hey, I'm encouraged in this thing. I, I, when I hear this, I think, when I read that and think about that, there's no bad end for a follower of Jesus Christ. And so that, when I read that, I'm like, it's, whatever it is, it's going to be fine. There's no bad end to me. That's, that's what I'm encouraged in. All right, here's another question. As we read that, are you convicted of anything? You don't have to answer, but if you want to holler something out. I'll, I'll be honest with you and tell you, what. Here, when I go through that, here's what I'm convicted of. I don't know why I'm so dumb. I don't know why I'm so dumb. I can read that and go, okay, let's go. And then tomorrow I can go, well, I don't know how we're ever going to make it. Things are bad. Things are tough. And I, I don't know why I'm so dumb. We ought to be praising God more. I ought to be praising God more. I ought to be meditating on his goodness more. Here's the last question. We're about done. The last question is this. How can we do better at speaking the praise of the Lord? How can we, us, do better at speaking the praise of the Lord? 
Here's what I think on that. How can we do better? First, be deliberate. We ought to be deliberate and think about here's how God's blessed us. Here's who God is. Here's what he's done. We ought to be deliberate. And we ought to say, you know what? I'm not going to get sucked in to, to wasting time. I'm going to be deliberate. And I think that would help us speak the praise of God. I, I think uh, we have to be deliberate in actually doing it and saying, you know what? Let me tell you about how good God is. Let me tell you about how gracious he is. And then here's, here's the last thing I wrote down this afternoon. How can we do better at speaking the praise of the Lord? Here's what I believe. I believe we are, as much as we don't want to admit it, as humans, we have a pack mentality. And we like to say, no, I'm an individual, and I don't need people, and I don't listen, and I don't go with the crowd. But I want to tell you, we do. We have a pack mentality. And I think there's two packs. One pack walks around and says, I don't like today. It didn't rain enough yesterday. It's too cold this afternoon. I don't know how it's almost Easter. I didn't get my Christmas shopping done. My husband's this, and he's the ugly and doesn't look right. And just, just on and on. And you get around those folks, and you're, you're in a pretty good mood, and you start going, I agree, it's too windy, and I don't like this, and I don't like that, and, and nobody wants to eat that stuff anyway. And then there's another set of people. And listen, these folks say, praise the Lord. He's never left us. I've never missed a meal. He was with me in a hard time. He was with me in a good time. He's blessed me with a great church. He's blessed me with a great spouse and family. Look at my kids. I couldn't ask for better kids than the ones I've got. Look at my spouse and how he's blessed me through this. Look at in those hard times, all the gracious things he did. And when you're around those folks, you can be getting pelted with hailstones and you go, look at the ice. It's falling out of the air free today. I think it matters who we're with. And you want to know how can we do better at speaking the praise of the Lord I think we do better together. We do better together. You know what? We ought to come in on Sunday morning. We shouldn't have to have a pep rally. We ought to say, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for the forgiveness of sin, for a Savior that's risen and resurrected. We do better together. We do better together. Glad you're here tonight. I'm going to ask if you'll stand. I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer, and we'll be dismissed. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come and we're thankful for good news. We're thankful for a gracious, wise, powerful God. We're thankful for hope that endures. We're thankful for peace that stands. We're thankful for truth that's not eroded. We're thankful for a future that we can trust in, depend on. We're thankful for a God that sees the plight of messed up people and comes and acts as our Savior. I'm thankful, Lord, for a kingdom that doesn't pass away and a king that will not be unseated. And so we praise you tonight, Lord. We thank you tonight. We worship you tonight. Lord, I pray that our kids are hearing this tonight and not nonsense, that they're hearing the good news of a good God. I pray for our youth tonight that they're hearing it as well. And I pray the fruit of this is a people that bless you, that praise you, and that are blessed in the singing of your praises. Lord, we love you and we thank you and we praise you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.